Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go to the phones, and Nate Salinsky is going to join us. And, Nate, why do you keep talking walleye fishing? We live in Colorado. This isn't Minnesota. We certainly don't have big walleyes, and you could never catch numbers of them in one day. So let's talk, like, brook trout. <laughs> you know, Terry, I'm at one of those fisheries that just blows your mind. I'm sitting here right now, I mean, as we speak, in the middle of Cherry Creek Reservoir, looking at DTC, looking at you know, cars on the hustle bustle of a major downtown city, but yet sitting on top of just an absolute incredible walleye fishery. And again, I think the anglers that are in the know of walleye take advantage of the resource, but so many anglers are just like you said, and they literally don't realize the opportunity that exists right here. I mean, I literally have a net in my hand netting a walleye as we're right here in the heart of the city. Yeah, well, you know, I think, and we're going through a transition too, which I'm sure you want to talk about right now where, We've come to a what was really a different spring. Some people struggled with it. I know you did very well. And that's typically a spring and fall can be our big fish time. We're getting into what's called the summer peak when the bait fish haven't hatched yet. The fish's metabolism is going strong because the water is warm. And there's a these are the aggressive bites where you can have those numbers of days, maybe a few less big fish. You have to work harder for big fish. But, boy, you can have some great time in the water. What are you experiencing right now? Absolutely, Terry. Our water just jumped. I mean, notoriously speaking, I would say that we're probably right around, you know, eight to ten days behind on water temperature. So if you're an angler that follows temperature, uh, (coughs) excuse me, we're just about a week shy on our water temperature, but the fishing is good. And and you hit the nail on the head. Everybody associates the time of year to high numbers days, catching a lot of fish. But so many anglers don't quite know why um, and really what the conditions that happen. It's a, it's a great four- to six-week season um, that takes place right now. And the biggest thing is the shatter spawning as we speak. So if you come to Chatfield, Cherry Creek, you go up to shallow water, you'll see the gizzard shad spawning. But last year's gizzard shad are now approaching about four inches. So those walleyes that are 20 inches and less, they're starting to really get looking for food. So when those shad are at that three-inch mark, there's so much food for all the walleyes to feed. But as the shad get larger, those walleyes, especially the younger walleyes, those 22 inches, 20 inches and less, have a hard time feeding on that bigger food source. So they resort to alternate food. They're eating midges. They're eating crawdads. They're eating any minnows they can find. But really, the, the food source is somewhat lacking right now, but yet the metabolism of the fish with the water temperature is increasing, and it really leads to a great time for angling. So we're catching a lot of fish right now, and like you said, you really have a lot of options. So like out here at Cherry Creek right now, I'm actually in shallow water throwing blade baits. Our goal today is keeper fish. We're looking for larger fish. Um, so if an angler is looking for numbers, I would say your live bait techniques, whether that's a Lindy rig, a live bait rig, uh, a slow death type presentation, sitting on structure dragging bait is ideal for catching numbers of fish. If you're looking for slightly larger fish, things like blade baits where you're crossing over to a reactionary fishing technique uh, or even paddle tails or grubs that you can work slightly more aggressive, uh, those are the techniques you're going to catch the, the larger of those fish right now. So you kind of break it down into two fashions, whether you're looking for a lot of fish or those slightly bigger fish, but the opportunity exists right now for both. And if you've never tried that walleye fishing here on the front range, 
I encourage you up and down, whether you're at, you know, Boyd or Horsetooth Carter, any, obviously the Metro Lakes, your Chatfield, Cherry Creek, Pueblo, they are all fishing well and it's time to get out. And I, I do have kind of a focus point of the show today. I know we want to talk walleye, walleye techniques, but I can't describe how many calls and texts and emails I'm getting about Chatfield. So right now, if you fish that fishery, say a month ago, really three weeks ago, and you were dealing with very low water, especially a month ago, uh, to where it's at right now, from our low point of the spring to where we sit right now, we're just shy of 11 vertical feet of water that's been put into that fishery, and it continues to go up. So we are now past the the old full pool, and we are now approaching uh, kind of their goals for, for the entire program uh, to, to build that reservoir almost and double the capacity. So that reservoir is growing quickly. Quickly. And obviously it's changed some things up and the fishing is good, but it is different. And that's what we wanted to touch base with, you know, for the past, however, 30, 40 years, you know, anglers this time of year have been fishing the roadbed, fishing Marina Point, fishing all the structure at the no wake buoys in front of the swim beach. And when you pull up on that structure now, you know, the traditional roadbed, that's normally that, you know, anywhere between 12 and 16, maybe 18 foot. I believe the roadbed the other day was, was at 22 or 23 feet. Um, so that structure that we normally fish right now is too deep. Those fish aren't associating to it. And a walleye notoriously chases that water level. So we're seeing these walleyes stacked up in the trees, up on all the new points. So everything that was out of water a month ago, not only has water on it right now, but is holding walleyes, holding bass. Uh, So it's essentially somewhat of a new fishery, unless you fish it during the flood stages in the past couple years. Uh, It's a new fishery, but it's thriving. Walleyes love going into that new vegetation. They love associating those new points. They love all the food that new flooded uh, grass and vegetation brings out. So a lot of cool stuff happening at Chatfield, but it is different. So we just kind of wanted to touch base on that this morning as we're getting so many calls and emails about it. You know, you talk about the, the fish, you know, we used to see this phenomena almost every year at Glendale Reservoir when the water would get back in the trees and you'd follow those walleyes. In the spring, people would be out fishing the main lake, catching no fish, but the brush and trees would be full of fish. But people are afraid to fish it. And then as that water dropped up there, they would move back to more traditional locations and finally suspend in the lake. Um, This could change Chatfield for a long time. It could end up as the shad come roaring back with the fertility of the lake. We could see a much more uh, midsummer suspended bite out there, too. But I think the one thing people, you and I might go into these uh, weeded or brushy areas and we might be confident enough to throw a jig or possibly a crankbait could work really well. A lot of uh, weekend anglers, they could even be pretty good fishermen, but they don't want to take those expensive baits and throw them up in those weeds. They lose a lot or up in that brush. What about a swim bait rig weedless? What are you suggesting they throw up in that shallow water? Absolutely, Terry. You know, I would say that I'm breaking it down really into three techniques. One, uh, very simple. Two, uh, slightly more advanced. So I would say for the more advanced angler, uh, a square bill crankbait, it is absolutely so efficient in those trees. Those square bill cranks do a really good job 
of bouncing off timber and avoiding the snags. So you can take that square bill. It runs extremely shallow, and you can run that crankbait all over that shallow water. It, it is extremely effective for catching fish. But, uh, I mean, again, it, I would say it's better than most cranks as far as the snag situation, but it's still not snag-proof. So you will still get hung up. Uh, you're going to foul up all that type stuff. So that would be my technique if I was going out there. But if you're, if you're, a, if you're scared of the snags, you don't want to deal with any of that type stuff, um, your next technique would be swim baits, like you said. So you could take a, a normal walleye paddle tail style swim bait. You could take your normal round walleye head. Um, and when you're poking that head through, just don't expose the hook point. So I kind of threaded a little bit more of an angle as I'm putting on that swim bait under my jig head. And then I don't expose the, the overall hook point. And you can run that bait extremely weedless and extremely snag proof. And you can work that swim bait as a jig, as a, as a true swimming motion um, through all that new flooded timber and structure and be very good. And then once you find some fish, hands down, my favorite thing, and we talked about just on the show last week, talking about kind of the lost art of slip bobbering. But if you take a slip bobber, whether you put a crawler on it or a live leech, um, and you work slip bobbers all around those weed edges and that, those cover edges, there's probably nothing better. That way you can make that one flawless cast and kind of instead of bringing your bait in and out of the strike zone, you can now let that bait sit perfectly uh, in that prime spot where those walleyes are cruising, and you're going to catch some fish. And the nice thing about the slip bobber, not only does it stay in the strike zone, you're not getting snagged, you're not getting fouled up, you can really kind of relax, um, and we're seeing everything hit that. So with that live leech down there, we're seeing walleyes, we're seeing smallmouth, largemouth, we're seeing catfish move up into those trees, trout, um, and even your panfish. So everything is going to associate to that slip bobber, that live bait technique. Um, and again, it, it's very low-key. You're not constantly casting. You're not worried about fouling things up. You're, you're making a couple few casts. You're staying in that strike zone, and you're very efficient with that technique. It is a great, great way to fish, you know, and if more people would put a bobber on and fish, most people would catch more fish. It just, like you said, it keeps the keeps the bait in the strike zone. It keeps the presentation, and you're not over-presenting it either. Now you're looking for a feeding bite, not necessarily a reaction bite, and, and it's such a subtle and effective way to fish. I want to circle back on you, Nate. Um, we talked about, you know, some of the lakes, maybe not Chatfield because of the raising water, but Cherry Creek. Pueblo, probably Boyd, we're starting to see a lot of fish on structure. And you're talking about, you talk about the slow death rig. A lot of people don't know what that is. But I think, you know, we've heard, so, we've had so many advances, and a slow death rig is usually pulled behind a bottom bouncer. And we hear Lindy rigs. But I think bottom bouncers used to be probably the number one fish catching technique in the Western states. Uh, with before even the slow death came around, and I think people have gotten away from just the plain uh, bottom bouncer and spinner rig. What about that? Are you still seeing people do that, or should they be doing that? Absolutely, Terry. I mean, I, I don't think you can go wrong. And honestly, the truth about a bottom bouncer, they are an effective technique. They hold your bait perfectly off bottom, um, and it is a great way to catch fish. The biggest thing with a bottom bouncer um, is take this to note. You want that bouncer to barely be touching bottom. I see anglers, and when they fish a bottom bouncer correctly and efficiently, there's probably no better technique out there still to this day. It's one of the oldest techniques, but it still catches fish, uh, and probably more fish than about anything. But when you lower that down, get your boat to speed. 
lower that bait down slow, that bounce down slow. And when you start ticking bottom, stop letting out line and stay right there. And that bottom bouncer will walk right on its wire and, and fish absolutely perfectly. Where the failure comes in with bottom bouncers is anglers hit bottom and they continue to let out line. It changes the angle of that bouncer and that bouncer is down there digging and turning and doing somersaults um, and not really designed to, to fish the way it's supposed to. It's supposed to walk on that bottom wire. So yes, we, we're a huge fan of bottom bouncers. Just make sure you fish it correctly. If you're not going to manage that bouncer correctly and you're going to let out too much line, then we're absolutely against it, just simply for the fact that it's going to deter fish from getting near that presentation. And then with spinners, I always tell anglers, start off with minimal and add as you go. So whether I have a bottom bouncer, I'd start off with just a single hook. Put on a, a smaller, you know, a size 8, a size 6, maybe a size 4 if you're really getting after it. But, but put on a hook and a leech, hook and a crawler, and start with that. Uh, if you're catching fish, continue to do so. If you're not, then add a bead. And if the bead doesn't work, then add a spinner blade ahead of it. But I think so many anglers start off with blade, and when you add a blade, now all of a sudden you're throwing color into the aspect. So you're like, oh, do they want silver, gold, you know, chartreuse, green, and you're adding a lot to the element. You don't necessarily have to have that. Start off with just the live bait. Fish that first. If you're catching fish, great. If not, then add the spinners and, and all of the attractors after the fact if you do it in that order you'll build a pattern pretty quick and have, have a very efficient day on the water i will tell you folks that the most watched video on my youtube channel over the last three months has been bottom bouncer techniques it's a television show i did years ago i did it on pueblo reservoir but we go through just exactly what nate said about how you let the line out how you watch the angle whether you run it from your front trolling motor or your back kicker and we go through all that and it's still a great lesson so go to the best of fishing with terry wickstrom on youtube and look at that you're going to see exactly what nate was talking about nate uh just a couple a minute or so left if you're going fishing, this is free fishing weekend. If you're going fishing tomorrow, where would you go? And I understand Spinney Mountain is open for boats. That is correct. You heard the news correct. Spinney opened yesterday to boating, uh, and the fishing is good. The trout, obviously, is second to none at Spinney. Um, we had a guide up there yesterday. His first pika of the year at Spinney on the boat was a 43-incher. Uh, so that's fishing very well. Uh, but, again, the front range right now, if you had to go somewhere, I would take advantage of these walleyes. Why they're they're just starting to come up shallow. That water temperature is just approaching 68 degrees. Everything is starting to happen in those regards. We've been hitting the trout hard for about a month. Uh, you know, as the bass move up shallow on their beds, as every uh, all these warm water species really fire up, I would take advantage of that in the front range. Stay close to home and have a great time catching fish down here. All right, and if people want to get a hold of you. Absolutely. You can always go to our website, tightlineoutdoors.com, or see us on Facebook, uh, which is just Tightline Outdoors. And remember, our catch rate event is this coming Wednesday. I know we've been talking about it, but we encourage everybody, come on down to, to Chatfield. It's right at the North Boat Dock. It's only $20 per species to enter. Uh, we have a, a partner of ours, our sponsor, CNC Construction. They're bringing tacos for everybody. So free dinner, free drinks, fishing, huge prizes. Uh, 20 bucks a species, it's the place to be. So make sure you stop by Chatfield Reservoir. Uh, you can sign up between 3 and 4 p.m. You fish from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, so catch rate this coming Wednesday at Chatfield. Facebook or our website has all the information, but we'd love to see everybody down there. All right, my friend, we will talk to you next week. Talk to you soon. All right, Nate Zielinski, always a great contributor. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, the folks from Jacks are going to join us, and we're going to help you 
If you're just getting started camping, maybe you need a tent, maybe you need a sleeping bag, maybe you just need some good advice. We'll help you with all of that with folks from Jack's right here on Terry Wishtram Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wishtram Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from the Jack's Outdoor here in Fort Collins is Dennis Pendleton. Good morning, Dennis. Hey, good morning, Terry. How you doing? You know, I'm doing great, and uh, I don't think... To talk about camping, we could have picked better weather to to talk about it. You know, Dennis, there's at Jack's you can accommodate the most advanced camper with the best gear and all the accessories they need. But we've got a lot of people just getting into every outdoor activity, and camping is no different. So suppose I'm a I'm fairly new to camping. Either I really haven't camped a lot, or I've gone camping with my friends a little bit, and I come in and I want to get started. How do you handle that, and what do I have to get? Well, you know, you're exactly right, Jerry. Uh, This uh, pandemic has introduced or reintroduced a lot of people to getting outdoors and the simple pleasures of being in nature and the fact that you can do it really on any budget. It depends on how deep you want to dive into it. Um, We're very good about when people come in, you have all the questions. We just, I mean, you have all the answers, sorry. We just need to ask the right questions. Um, when people first approach us and they say, say, I'm looking for a tent. Well, the first thing I'm going to ask them is, well, how, how much experience do you have? Have you had a tent before? Where do you plan on going? Are you going to be backpacking? Are we going car camping? How many people are going? All of these things are absolutely essential for us to get you into the right product and for you to have a good time. It's, it's, it cannot be replaced. Now, if people come in and they don't interact with you and don't get you involved, they think they're just going to, you know, a lot of people are afraid somebody's going to sell them something. Well, at Jack's, you want to sell them something, but you want to sell them the right something. What's the biggest mistake, let's say, with a tent that people who aren't being helped tend to make? Honestly, um, the people that have a lot less experience, um, they might or might not do some research before they come in. But the very biggest mistake you can make is to only have a price point in your head and you haven't really even thought out what you're going to do, how long you want the tent to last, what's the weather like, you know, where you go at the altitude, and then look at the features of tents and see, is this going to suit my needs if you simply want to go in and get the cheapest tent i mean we have two-man tents for thirty dollars believe it or not we have thirty dollar tents but there's a big difference between a thirty dollar tent and a four hundred dollar tent so you have to understand that when you're going to be out in the woods if the weather turns bad that thirty dollar tent might be a bad experience no, you're absolutely right, especially you've got a family with kids. <clears throat> Say it's a family and a couple of kids we're talking to. We want them to go out and have fun. I know you're a big advocate of getting kids started early so they enjoy camping and it becomes a heritage for them, but you have to keep it fun. And four people or in a couple two-man tents, usually it doesn't. if you can't get out and do things, can't, isn't going to be as much fun. Where you can, in a bigger tent, you can stay dry, you can stay warm, and you can you know, you can play some games and do things when the weather gets better. Let's say now I've got the tent. You guys have helped me. You kind of talked about some price ranges. 
before we even move on, what other features of a tent are probably important to think about? Um, well, you really did hit it there. Uh, you know, you, you want to get the kids out early. If you want them to enjoy it and have good memories and, like you said, make a heritage of it, you need to start them out young, and you need for them to have a good time. You don't want to stress them out. Don't take a kid out and do a 14-er if he's four years old. <laughs> you know, it's just not a smart thing. Even though you might be into it, you have to think what is going to be fun for them. That $30 tent is not going to do for you to be up above Timberline. Um, however, that $30 tent would be great for your child to camp out in the backyard for the first time. If the weather turns bad, you guys just go inside. If the mosquitoes are bad, you go inside. You make sure that they're enjoying themselves, and they're going to want to continue doing it. Um, some of the features that you really want to look for, you want to make sure that if you're not going backpacking and you're not worried about weight, this will go straight through all of the categories. Make sure that you get a fly that goes all the way to the ground. Then if the wind blows, if it picks up, that tent is going to stick to the ground. The wind will come up and hit it, and it will go over it instead of catch, catching underneath that half fly and wanting to lift it off the ground. If it rains, you're protected. Yes, you might have to stay in the tent for a while, but at least you're not going to be soaking wet. Your bag's not going to get wet. The same thing goes with make sure that it has sealed seams. All these tents are made by nylon being sewn together. Well, if you don't back up those seams that where, the, where it was sewn together, it's going to leak. It will leak. There's no question about it. It's going to leak. Now, you can do this yourself afterwards, or you could buy one that already has sealed seams. Um, the simple construction of the tent itself, it, you don't have to have an engineering degree to look at a tent and go, well, that doesn't look very you know, that, that doesn't look very strong. It's very narrow. It sits up really high. If the wind blows, it's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be trouble. And, and that pretty much is true. You can look at it, and common sense is going to tell you that looks strong or it doesn't. And sales associates like us, especially the ones that actually are out there doing it, we know we'll be happy to tell you. You know, I want to see people go out. I want them to have a good time. Um, and it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't really matter who they buy product from. I want to see the people get out there. I want to see the industry grow. I, I like the smile on the kids' faces when they come in and they're telling me, you know, I saw moose. And you should see them light up. It's just the most wonderful thing in the world. Isn't it, though, Dennis? So, hey, Dennis, so I've got my tent or my starter tent, or maybe it's the tent I plan on keeping for five, six years. I don't know. But you've helped me. we got a tent. Then do I need sleeping bags? I would say so, yes. Um, you know, it again, it really does depend on where you're going, who you're going with, the time of year. Uh, there's so many variables. As you get into it farther and farther, Right now, I sleep with a down quilt. I don't even take my sleeping bag in the summer or the fall. Um, and I take a tarp, and I sleep on a piece of Tyvek on the ground. But see, I've been doing it since I was a kid, and I've hiked the whole Triple Crown with my son, and we have a lot of experience. I know where to put the tent. I know where, you know, what to do and what not to do, and I'm comfortable with it. 
if people are starting out and say they've only had one tent and they're just moving from the car camping world into the backpacking world, you're probably going to have to start piece by piece buying new gear because the backpacking world is you need things that are lighter and more compactable. Now, when you start, you can have a heavier pack and a heavier tent and a big bulky sleeping bag. It's going to be more uncomfortable for you. You'll do less miles before you need to stop and take a break. And, you know, the heavier your pack, the the less you smile, basically. Simple equation there. So how much you spend does end up affecting how you feel when you're out there. But that's not to say that you can't go out very efficiently and very economically and have a great time. You just have to know where you're going and how much weight you're carrying. Know yourself. You know, don't go out there and expect to carry 45 pounds up a 14er when you don't do it every weekend. Yeah, it won't be. So if I, so so if I'm back, if I'm car camping and I got a couple kids. We're not going to go packing, so the weight doesn't. What do I have to spend to get a reasonable sleeping bag? Uh, you can easily get a reasonable sleeping bag, and I need a nice synthetic bag for 150 bucks. So that's that's not. I mean, if you start in the like in the Kelty world of car camping uh, uh, sleeping bags, you can get. Uh, there's a women's cosmic right now, synthetic 20 degree bag for 99 dollars. So, I mean, you're, you know, in a, in a kid's synthetic bag that fits them, uh, their size and everything, you can get one of those for $80. You're not going to break the bank to get enough stuff together to go camping. It's when you start wanting to get into the ultralight world and you want to through hike the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. That's when you're going to start spending $500 to get a Western mountaineering sleeping bag. But you know what? You're going to be sleeping in that every night for six months. So when all you, right. when you take it all down, you know, it all works out. We are really out of time, but I want to ask one more quick question. We'll have to keep it brief. So I'm a car camper. I'm new to camping. I've, I've met with you guys. I've gone over the thing. I've got my tent and my sleeping bags. What are the two next most important accessories very quickly? I'd say you need a headlight, and they're very – I mean, you can get one for $30 um, – and you need a good stove. And you can get a pocket rocket for $45. I mean, most people just rehydrate dehydrated food now. So if you got a pocket rocket and a cheap aluminum cup, the fuel can fits in the cup. The pocket rocket goes on top. It's small. It's effective. You heat two cups of water. That little bitty canister of fuel is going to last you a week. And you can, um, you can eat really nice on the trail, and it doesn't take up much space or room. All right, my friend, we are out of time, but, of course, they can see you. Uh, Normally, you're at the Jacks in Fort Collins. I believe you're off today, but all of the Jacks Outdoor Gears would be able to help them and locations all over. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Terry. It was good talking to you. You bet. Dennis Pendleton, he's from Jackson, Fort Collins, but stop by the Jack store if you're starting camping. They got whatever level you're at, they have what you need. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Chad Lachance is going to join us, and he says... The ponds and soon the reservoirs are ripe for a certain presentation that he loves to throw, and he's going to tell us all about it on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.
Robert Zimmerman. Went to the same high school, lived three blocks away from me. You're listening to, you know him as Bob Dylan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones, and joining us is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. You know, I don't know if you heard me tease it in, but we're getting to a time of the year when the ponds are taken off and it's still in the reservoirs that it's probably one of your favorite presentations and and maybe one that you don't have to be quite as sophisticated to learn. Absolutely. You know, <clears throat> and thanks a lot for that. Wait a minute, Terry. I just think that was a backhanded comment. My favorite presentation any idiot can do. But, uh, <laughs> but the jokes, jokes aside, uh, it's it, you're exactly right. We're going to talk a little bit about some topwater fishing. And uh, and the reason being is this. This time of year, all the warm water the bass, the largemouth and smallmouth and spotted bass around the state, have are coming off of their spawn phase, and it's a well-known ba- pattern uh, when they come off of the spawn and start protecting fry or just start feeding back up after the after the spawn is over, uh, that a topwater can be a really good way to catch them. And at this point in the year, even though there are still fish on beds in various places around the state, and there probably will be for a while, there's a lot of them that are finished up at this point, and it's a lot more karmically correct to go fishing for the for the topwater fish and my next door neighbor alex is out on the out this morning first light lobbing a, a little chopo a berkeley chopo around a uh, size 105 which is a relatively big bait for for horse tooth reservoir and uh and they caught him good this morning throwing that thing so uh been guiding and same thing the, the top water has been really good and i know that uh, a couple of buddies of mine have been hitting some of the frogs uh, frog ponds, what we call frog ponds, ponds with a lot of elodia and, and cattails and stuff like that, the grass growing in them, and the, the weedless frog bites coming on as well. So the topwater bite's really uh, consistent. It's easy. You're not going to snag. If you don't throw your lures in the trees or the bushes, you're not ever going to snag them because they float. And if you backlash your reel in the middle of it or you get a tangle or anything like that, the thing's just floating out there. So it's not an issue, which makes it excellent for beginning anglers or kids. Plus, there's no question when you've got a bite, right? You can see it. And the visual aspect of topwater fishing is, is really a lot of fun. And uh, it's for sure one of my or, or is for sure my favorite time to guide as far as clients goes because we get the most laughing in the boat, you know. And you're going to get a lot of fish that will slap at a bait and miss it. And they're just very excitable. Uh, fish are in a good mood it's that time of year you know and uh and it can be a really fun way to fish but there's a couple of nuances to the to the different styles of top waters or preferences i have for post spawn and uh, to not get too too many details but if i'm going for uh smallmouth bass and you know any of the reservoir situations we have or or largemouth up real shallow this time of year i'm typically going to gravitate to a popper like a a size 70 or 80 bullet pop is what I'm going to start with. Uh, that can work a small strike zone. You can bloop the face of it, you know, just bloop it, bloop, 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 little short pops, and uh, and work it in a small area. And that's important because these fish are guarding. They've got, you know, 10,000 fish that, that are swimming around fry and uh, little baby fish, and they're guarding those fish. And so if, you're, if your lure vacates the area too quickly, they won't bite it. So that's usually the first one that I'll start with. And then the other one is something like the Chapo. Other folks may know more, be more familiar with the Whopper Plopper, but it's a high-speed bait. The bait's moving continuously, and that'll get fish that are a little farther along from the spawn. 
uh, that are just looking to feed up and that are more excitable. And that could be a really fun way to fish. And that really is idiot proof because all you do is throw it out and wind it in. The more I try to get tricky with that bait, you know, try to do some of that pro talk stuff to it. It catches less fish. You're better to just throw it out and wind it in. And, uh, and that works really well. And yesterday, just for the record, I had three completely different genres. I had a prop bait, I had a choppo, and I had a bullet pop. And all of them were getting bit. It came down to who threw it better as to who got, who got you know, the most bites with it. If they threw it accurately uh, and, and with control, then you caught more fish. Where, where does the, um, like the walking baits, the walk the dog type baits and the prop baits and even buzz baits, do they all fit into your, uh, your, your what you're doing this time of year? The, for me, okay, to clarify, yes, you will get bites with those. I'm, so I'm not going to say no, don't throw them. For me, in splitting hairs and looking for nuances, the walking baits and the buzz baits are when water's very close to its maximum temperature for the year and then on into fall. That's when the fish's metabolism is as fast as it's going to get, and that's when I will most commonly reach for a buzz bait or a walking bait. Uh, also, once the bait fish have bloomed, the walking bait's really good. You start having a, the, the shad of spawn, the walking bait's really good in that scenario. But this time of year, in early spring, I like to work the baits a little bit slower and more precise for the most part, which is why I go to the popper or the frog, uh, the weedless frog. And, and we're just starting to get the grass to show up, uh, you know, where it's coming all the way to the surface and some of the, some of the green algae, the filamentous algae, and various things that are coming to the surface in the ponds. And, uh, and that's that can be where you get that frog going. That frog's weedless. He's kind of a four-wheel drive lure. You can throw him anywhere. It's not something I recommend for people that aren't equipped for it because it can be difficult to set the hook. The thing that makes the frog weedless also makes it harder to hook fish on. And I've found that with customers that aren't familiar with throwing it, uh, you've got to throw it on a much stiffer rod and, and heavier braided line to have a really efficient chance at hooking a high percentage of your fish and getting them out of the cover. So for me, if I can get away with the, with the popper, with a couple of treble hooks on the bottom or, or even better, if they'll, if they'll bite the chopo, that's really hard to, hard to beat that thing. And, uh, and I will tell you this, don't shy away from the size. A lot of times the, the chopos are available in 90, 105, and I want to say 130 is the other one. And that's millimeters. So it, it gives you an idea how big the bait actually is. And, the bigger ones are a lot of times will generate you more stripes than the little ones because they just generally have more drawing power. And we got to keep in mind at all times, Terry, that bass are named for the size of their mouth, not the size of their brain. He would prefer to eat a third of his body weight or, or can eat up to a third of his body weight in one shot. So a choppo may look big or a whopper plopper may look big to somebody, but even smallmouth will run that thing down and grab it. You know, another mistake I think people make uh, top water is they think they have to throw it extremely shallow. Well, that can be a great technique to get really shallow fish. You can sometimes have fairly deep water and be effective, right? Oh, absolutely. And and what I like to do in a lot of the areas of, for instance, here at Horsetooth, where we've got some very steep banks, uh, the fish might be sitting in, in, you know, two feet of water get you know guarding fry they might be right up on the bank guarding fry but they'll run out off the bank uh a good 10 or 12 feet to grab something running in open water and uh and so yeah you don't have to throw it right on the bank generally speaking i'm going to run the one-two punch so i had multiple anglers in the boat i have the guy with the popper that's working a small strike zone i put that in the hand of my best caster and let him throw that thing and work the banks themselves 
Then I've got the Chapo working out more open water, working down the drains, and it's it's nothing to draw smallmouth up out of 15 or 20 feet of water uh, to grab a topwater bait. And, geez, even in the, in the fall, uh, some of the biggest smallmouth I've ever caught here at Horsetooth have come in like 100 feet of water on surface baits. So it just depends on how the fish are feeding. But at this time of year, and particularly in the ponds, I have no problem just lobbing that thing around over the grass beds uh, and not even worrying about the banks because you're going to find that there's a bunch of females that are back out in open water that are just thinking food, you know, and uh, and that could be a really good deal. Now, you talked about the frog in particular. You take some pretty heavy gear. Usually you'll fish that with a bait caster. Um, you can get really stiff spinning rods, but most people won't have one with enough backbone, and you need that right that big line and that stiff rod to hook them and get them out of there. What about a chopper? If I'm just a weekend angler, I don't have a lot of gear, uh, popper, can I fish that on my spinning gear? Absolutely. In fact, that's all I do on guide trips is throw them on spinning gear. And actually, even in my own personal angling, I prefer to work poppers on spinning gear because I like the way spinning gear hangs in my hand. It's less effort to work the popper. Uh, And they're smaller and lighter. So generally, I'm on a medium power, fast action spinning rod. I'm on about somewhere between 10 and 15 pound braid, depending on what you know, what exactly my setup is, and then a relatively fast spinning reel. So my setups that I'm throwing with the guys right now are in the boat are medium power Veritas rods that are six and a half feet long. And uh, I've got each of those have 15 pound X9 braid on them. I'm not throwing leaders at all. So I'm Palomar knotted straight to the front of the bait, which means if a guy throws it in the tree, I just pull the tree limb back to the boat. And um, and then we just we work it that way. That braided line gives you really good hook sets and gives you really really good casting distance, and that can be important when you're trying to stay away from fish. When fish are very shallow, getting right on top of them is not the best way to catch big ones. So I like the lob baits from a ways back, if at all possible. That's the best way to get the big ones to bite, and braid will help with that. And there's one real key that is important that I find that everybody I put in my boat struggles with if they haven't topwater fished and that is the hook set should be down if at all possible you should sweep the rod down and away from the fish as opposed to up like you might with a jig and the reason being is you want to pull that the fish is coming from below the lure and if you lift up on the rod tip you're going to change that lining a lot and lift it away from the fish your landing ratio or your your hookup and your landing ratios will both drop significantly if you lift the rod tip to set the hook as opposed to sweeping down and away. That's a really key thing. I struggle with that every day when I get new guys in the boat guiding is, hey, we got to get the hook set styled or we're going to get a lot of bites and not a lot of fishes. You know, also the hook set, setting it, you know, because it's visual fishing, a popper especially, um, they'll see the, they'll see the woof and they'll set the hook immediately. That fish probably hasn't even closed its mouth yet. You really have to wait till you feel the weight on the line, don't you? Oh, yeah, or at least submerge the bait. Um, That's the thing. If they pull the bait under, then, okay, I'll go ahead and swing on them. But, yes, if that bait's still on the surface, and you're going to get a lot of that right now while they're guarding. If you're working a popper and a fish comes up, he's just going to slap at it. He's just trying to get it to go away. And he's not trying to eat it, and that's important. Because if he wanted to eat it, he'd stuff it in his face and he'd be gone. But he doesn't. He wants to slap it and get it away from there. And so usually what happens is just keep twitching the bait. Just keep twitching it until you feel them. Don't stop working the bait until you feel the fish load up on it, a lot of them will slap it three or four or five times before they'll actually go ahead and bite it because they'll just get more frustrated with it. And so very important, just keep working the bait until you either see and pull it under, which is common, or uh, if you actually feel the weight of the fish. And by the time you feel them, as you know, Terry, if you feel the weight of that fish, one of those trebles has got him at that point. 
Yeah. Now, last thing, we only got about 30 seconds, but you mentioned no leader. Another reason, you and I run a lot of fluorocarbon leaders, but another reason is the fluorocarbon sinks. It could bring the front of your top water down and kill the action. Absolutely, and you can run a stiff monofilament leader if it's getting hung up in your trebles too much. I prefer to learn to control the cast, but, uh, but yes, sir, you can definitely do a monofilament leader. But the only reason I would need a leader really with the topwater baits is to keep the braid out of the treble hooks. And, uh, and if I got casters that are decent and have decent casting control, I don't even worry about that. And then we don't even have to retire over the course of the day. But that 15-pound braid, you can throw it in the trees and pull it back. We are out of time, Chad. If people want more information from you, how do they get a hold of you? Fishful Thinker on all social media, especially YouTube, and, uh, of course, our emails at Fishful Thinker as well. And we would love to hear from folks. And a uh, beautiful day. It's free fishing weekend in Colorado, so hopefully everybody's going to go fishing. All right, my friend. We will talk soon. We need to get out and fish together soon. Thanks, Chad. Yes, sir. Have a good day. You bet. Chad Lachance, Fishful Thinker. We'll take a quick time out, and we'll close up this episode of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Bringing me back with Take It to the Limit is not going to get me to start this last segment quickly. Yeah, I know what you like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but we'll finish the show with the Eagles. We've got a few little housekeeping things to do. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. One, we had a lot of great fishing uh, information today. Uh, we had the guys from Blue Quill Angler. Uh, Chris Steinbeck came on and gave us an awesome fly fishing report. Nate Zielinski was all over the walleyes, and uh, and Chad was spot on with his bass. So I will do make every effort to post all three of those segments, uh, the podcast from those segments, on my Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You know, you should follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors anyway. Uh, it gives you access to our YouTube channel. And by the way, our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, a lot of what we talked about today, there are videos on that YouTube channel filmed right here in Colorado. Now, we also have episodes that were filmed in Canada and South America and the Bahamas, but about half the shows were filmed right in this area, so you get a lot of good information there. But we do post a lot of the podcasts on our um, Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, the, the, the following days after the show. And we also try to give you information on what's coming up on next week's show. So you should follow us. And if we get reports like Spinny, Spinny Mountain opened for boating yesterday, we will get that information on the Facebook page so you know about it. So follow us on Facebook. Go to our YouTube channel. Now, it's free fishing day. You do not need a license today and tomorrow to fish in Colorado. So if, I was, uh, if you've got some rusty old fishing gear, dust it off and Go out and go to even a local pond or a, a local lake from shore and do a little casting. You might find yourself getting back into fishing, and you'll have you'll have a lot of fun. We got a lot of great warm weather coming. You want to take advantage of that, so make sure you you do get out there and take advantage of all that. Uh, it's going to be some of the best fishing of the year coming up. So go and try that trout in the high country, warm water species down below. So just get out and really take advantage of things. So we're here every Saturday from 9 to 11, and we cover fishing, camping, hunting, outdoor activities, state parks, shooting. So join us. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Um, Just join us every Saturday, and we'll make your outdoor experience a better one. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in ESPN Sports on 
104.3 The Fan.